Well, I have been in a series over the past several weeks. It's a series I'm calling The Case for Grace, Forsaking the Hybrid Gospel. Ministers will typically minister along the lines of what they're passionate about. And if you want to know what they're passionate about, just listen to their words. Even the scriptures say, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Doesn't take very long to figure out what's inside a guy's heart, does it? If you were to invest the time to go back over the years and listen to every message I've ever ministered, it'd take you a long time. But if you did, it wouldn't take you very long to figure out that the message that I've had is that Jesus is enough. His grace is sufficient. And yet we chase the thunderous refrain all the time. We chase the activity when Jesus is enough. His grace is sufficient. So I'm going to be ministering this morning through the fourth message in this series. It's a message I'm calling Mixture, the Fuel Source of Condemnation. And what I want us to see through the message today is this. The root system of condemnation grows through the mixing together of the old and new covenants. That is the root system for condemnation. In case you're wondering why you feel condemned all the time, that's because you're mixing the old covenant with the new covenant. The old covenant was made obsolete. That is Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 13. We are under a new covenant. It is the covenant of grace. We are no longer under the covenant of law. In fact, we never were. We were the Gentile population. In Mark chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, we find these words. This is what Jesus said. He said, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. In other words, you think you're doing something that's good, but not so good, right? And he says that no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Now, believers are new creations in Christ. Therefore, guess what? The vine lives on the inside of us. And from the vine comes the new wine. And when we attempt to pour an old covenant message into this wineskin that we are, you know what we discover? We discover an incongruency. We discover a total incompatibility. And believers often end up broken and on the floor, kind of like the wineskin and the wine like an unshrunk cloth on an old garment, what happens is they begin to pull away from their true identity in Christ. And like new wine in an old wineskin, they default to a life of ruin because they can never see themselves as perfect in Christ. They always see themselves as a failure. 
At best, they see themselves as an intermittent failure. I have my good days and I have my bad days. Friends, Jesus made you perfect by one sacrifice. The scriptures say, for by one offering, he has made perfect forever those that he's made holy. And he's made us holy. You do not become holy by all of your doings, your checklists, your boxes, your do's, your don'ts. You become holy by the blood of Jesus. You become holy by his shed blood on the cross, period. Nothing else belongs there. Would you like to get inside my head for just a moment? Would you like to know what makes me tick? Would you like to know what motivates me to keep preaching this gospel of grace? Number one is I see. When I look around in the world that I live in, I see the brokenness. I see. I not only see, but I hear. Remember what I said a minute ago? If you want to know what's inside a man's heart, just listen to his words. I hear. I don't have to eavesdrop on a conversation. I hear plainly. So I'm motivated by what I see. I'm motivated by what I hear. I'm motivated by compassion. I'm motivated by how I feel about situations. I'm motivated by my past because in my past, I can identify. I can identify with where people are at and why they think the way they think. Why? Because I've lived many of those realities out. But the bottom line is, I continue to preach this gospel of grace simply because I care. If I didn't care, I wouldn't share, bottom line. You see, I'm acquainted. I am familiar with the needless heartache and pain and suffering that believers go through. I see the same destructive behaviors and mindsets in believers' lives as I do in the lives of those who do not profess Christ as Lord. Friends, it shouldn't be this way, should it? It shouldn't be this way. We are the richest people on the planet. Believers are the richest people on the planet. We're children of the king. Years ago, I worked for a company called Motorola Cellular, Harvard, Illinois. And there was a lady that would come to our line once in a while uh, when she worked overtime. So I didn't see her on a regular basis, but from time to time I did. And one day she was wearing a t-shirt that had Christian artwork on it. So that struck up a conversation. We found out we were both believers and we had a good old time talking about Jesus. She said to me, I'm going to get married soon. I said, that's great. She said, there's one problem. My fiance is not born again. She said, would you do something for me? Would you meet with him and myself and help him to see why he should be born again and the need to be born again? I said, absolutely. It wasn't many days after that. We walked down a long hallway and we found the cafeteria and I joined them at their table. For about 20 minutes, I unpacked this 
gospel of grace. I unpack this need to be born again. That we all needed to be partakers of Jesus Christ. He was a man that was a kind man, very gentle, very soft-spoken, very good eye contact, didn't talk over you. Do you kind of get the picture of the kind of guy I'm having this conversation with? The conversation ended, we all went our way, and it wasn't many days, a handful of days, and we got together again in the same cafeteria. We sat down at the same table. He took the same chair, she took the same chair. I sat across from them. And for 20 minutes, I began to, once again, help him to see what it would be like to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He made no decision that day, and it wasn't many days after that. We met again in the same cafeteria sat down at the same table. We're creatures of habit, aren't we? Sat down at the same table in the exact same chairs. And for 20 minutes, I talked to him about the need to have a relationship with Jesus. And at the end of that conversation, he said to me, Mark, you keep telling me that I need to be born again. I said, that's right. He said, she keeps telling me that I need to be born again. He said, but when I look at her values and I look at my values and I look at her words, the things she talks about, the things that interest her and the things that I talk about and the things that interest me. When I look at each of our lives, he said, to be honest with you, I can't see any difference. And I want you to know that there was this energy that began to build. I can't even explain. There were so many emotions going off at the same time. It was like a nine alarm fire going off inside of me. And before I could say anything, she spoke up and she said, that's my fault. She said, you should be able to see a difference between me and every other person you look at because the Spirit of God lives on the inside of me. So early in my Christian walk, I hadn't been saved very long, I discovered that something was getting in the way of people being able to see that believers are uniquely different, uniquely qualified, new creations in Christ, old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Something was causing the salt to lose its saltiness. Something was causing the light to lose its penetrating power. What was it? Was it a false profession on the woman's behalf? This gentleman's fiance? No, that wasn't it at all. She knew Christ. You see, at the root of her issue lay a hybrid gospel, the gospel that mixes the two covenants together. And when the two covenants are mixed together, they can never be released from the stronghold, the grip of condemnation, because the first covenant was the ministry of condemnation. And when that ministry is working in your life, 
you won't even realize that you will toggle in and out of those two covenants. We must forsake, friends, the practices of the old covenant as a means of salvation before God. A Christian's dysfunctional and condemnation-filled life is rooted in an environment, in a soil, if you will, of mixture. It's got a root system. Where does condemnation come from? So I want to begin by asking you a few questions here. Why do believers choose to live with such debilitating heartache and such emotional trauma? How is it that so many believers display the exact same values as unbelievers? Why do believers allow themselves to get trapped in the stairwell of burning buildings? Well, the answer is so simple that it may surprise you. It's because they haven't yet learned how to live by the new covenant graces of the Christian faith. It's that simple. These struggling believers keep sewing unshrunk patches on old garments, and they keep putting new wine in old wineskins. Did you know that eight EMS workers, 343 firefighters, and 72 police officers all lost their lives on the same day? The date was September 11, 2001. They lost their lives as the Twin Towers, we call the World Trade Center, collapsed on top of them. Thousands of first responders and the aftermath cleanup crew have died since then due to the toxic effects from exposure to the carcinogens that they breathed in. Did you know that there's still a double-digit percentage of first responders, and even some of the Manhattan residents, even to this day, that suffer from PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And did you know that the 911 police officers, the EMS staff, the firefighters, the recovery workers at Ground Zero face a 41% higher risk of leukemia and a 219% increased risk of thyroid cancer? One of the greatest risks for those that were exposed to the ground zero carnage will face in the coming years is something called mesothelioma. You see, it takes about 20 years for it to develop. Would you like to know why these heroes died? Would you like to know why health challenges are crouching at the doors of the ones that lived? Would you like to know why the survivors and all of those that were exposed to the airborne carcinogens of the World Trade Center disaster are at greater risk of developing a life-snatching disease? Would you like to know why? I'll tell you why. It's either because they cared enough to subject themselves to the elements of toxicity fueled by a godless and hateful religion, or because they were just simply, innocently, caught in the grip of evil. And friends, that is Jesus' story. He came to rescue us from the dominion of darkness. 
He came to provide a cure out of our life snatching, crouching at the door disease called sin. He came to extract us from the stairwell of condemnation. Jesus was exposed to the elements of toxicity and abuse fueled again by that hateful religion and by those that were caught in the grip of evil, including the religious, yet he laid down his life to rescue you. He laid down his life to rescue me. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, we find these words. Look at these words. <laughs> Come on. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. How did Jesus rescue us from the dominion of darkness and condemnation? By giving us his love and by shining his light into the dark stairwell of our hearts. In John chapter 3, verses 16 through 19, we find some very amazing passages. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not, look at these words, sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. Please underscore that, those words in your heart. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's it. Next scriptures. Watch what he says here. He says, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not, he is already condemned. He's already living in condemnation because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. Come on. This is the condemnation. What is the condemnation? That light, come on, light is come into the world. That's Christ. It's not just a physical light. That light, Christ, has come into the world. And men love darkness. In other words, they rejected the light. That's why they're under condemnation. They rejected the light because it says they love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Condemnation, as we can see through those scriptures, is not God's heart. Jesus told us that. Condemnation is reserved only for those that refuse to put their trust in Christ. And we have the sweet Holy Spirit wooing us to come to Christ, constantly drawing us to Christ. I said no to him for a lot of years, friends. I'm so thankful he never gave up on me. That he never just said, you're too much work, you're a bother. You've said no too many times. Condemnation is reserved only for those that refuse to put their trust in Christ as the love and the light of God. That's who Jesus is, friends. He's the love of God. He's the light of God. Isn't that awesome? Jesus is familiar with our darkness. He experienced a darkness like nobody else has ever experienced. 
In Luke chapter 23, verses 44 through 46, we find these words. Come on. This is Jesus from the cross now, friends. And right when his life is ebbing and flowing, coming and going, it says it was about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. I love these next words. For the sun stopped shining. A cloud did not move in front of the sun. A single cloud does not hide the sun from the whole land. And the whole land everywhere experienced darkness at the same time. You say, well, Pastor Mark, maybe that was a solar eclipse. No, no, it's not a solar eclipse. You see, this darkness lasted from noon till three. A solar eclipse lasts anywhere from 10 seconds to seven and a half minutes at the longest. <laughs> this is three hours. It did exactly what the scriptures say. It stopped shining. Gross darkness. Hand in front of your face can't see it. Darkness. The sun stopped shining. And it was then, it says, that the curtain of the temple was torn in two, thank God, from top to bottom. And Jesus called out in a loud voice. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his Last, light had come into the world. Light had went out of the world. Friends, our Jesus hung on a cross in condemnation and darkness, not because he had done anything wrong, but for the sole purpose of taking away our condemnation in our darkness. He rescued us from the dominion and grip of darkness and condemnation, the scriptures say, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that He loves, which is the kingdom of love and light. With a truth like this, how can one suffer from post-traumatic salvation disorder? Come on. <laughs> you can't when that truth becomes your reality. Through Jesus' blood, we have zero risk of dying in our sins. Come on. Zero risk. It's all been taken away through his blood. His blood was that powerful. Precious blood of Jesus. Jesus came for us because he saw and he heard and he felt and as a man, he identified Jesus came for us because he cared. The only burning building we'll ever face is the one in our mind. That's it, friends. But that's not your reality. What's in your spirit is your reality. This is being transformed. There'll be things in five years from now that you'll look back on and go, oh, I didn't believe that exactly right. It keeps going, friends, like that. So the only burning buildings we face are the ones that have been erected in our minds. 
There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Come on. That word, no, little word, big heart, like I always say. No condemnation. It literally means not even one. Not one. Don't take my word for it. Look it up sometime in the Greek concordance. That word no comes from udais, uday, which means not. Heis, which means one, put together, it means not even one. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That's good news. You say, but Pastor Mark, it says, for those who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, there's your condition. No, friends, the King James Version may pick that up, but the earliest manuscripts do not record those words. They're not there at all. The earliest manuscripts. So they moved that from, I believe it's verse 3 or 4, up in there because they couldn't believe that the grace of God could be that good that there would be no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Amazing. Not even one. Condemnation? Come on now. Well, from time to time, it will attempt to trap us in the stairwell of smoke and fire, where we get a little confused, we get a little disoriented. But it's on these occasions that we must remind ourselves that only the natural sun stops shining for three hours. The Son of God's light will shine forever. His light will never stop shining. Even in the midst of our darkest moments, His light will always shine. Always there to shine his glory. It's his glory, friends. I believe that Christians can get caught in the grip of evil also. Now hear me out. Not in the sense that the evil one can touch us because the scriptures plainly tell us when we belong to him, it says the evil one cannot touch us. Quit being afraid of him. He is nothing. Nothing. He cannot touch us. Now, I didn't write those words, but they are in the word. He that is born of God, the evil one cannot touch him. And not evil in the sense that believers destroy buildings or human lives. I'm not talking about the get caught in that grip of evil. But what I'm talking about is in the destructive understanding of the Father's heart and this gospel of grace. They get caught there. So many believers have exchanged the life on cloud nine for the cleanup crew on aisle nine. In other words, their Christian lives are built on cleanup. Let's mop everything up in our lives. Let's get in the preventative maintenance mode rather than solely relying upon the grace of God. You're in cleanup mode. You're at the altar always asking God to forgive you, begging God to forgive your sins, begging God to help you be a better person. Come on, friends. There's no power. That's pitifulness. There's no power in that. Power is understanding your identity, who you are in Christ, that there's no condemnation for you ever, that his light will never go out, that his love is always toward you. Now, I'm going to say something 
that has some shock value to it, please. I'm not usually a preacher that does that kind of stuff, but I'm going to say something that's got a little bit of shock value to it. Please do not get up and exit the building until you hear this out, okay? Let me explain. A man will never be free from sin until he understands that he is free to sin. Now see, that's got shock value. And what am I trying to say? I'm just trying to say, if we are not free to sin, then we're under laws. We're under rules. Do not. We go back to the old covenant again. There is power in what I'm saying. I'm not telling believers to sin. No, no, no. Don't do that. Sin will take you places. It will write checks that bounce. (laughs) It will take you to divorce court. It will take you to the county jail. Sin will take you to the county morgue. Sin will take you to the unemployment office. Sin will separate you from your family, but it will never, ever, ever separate you from the love of God and the light of God. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. How about not sinning because we see and we hear and we feel and we identify and we care about what Jesus did for us on the cross. Isn't that a good motivation? It's the best one. How about not sinning because we're not compatible with sin? Believers don't like sin. We don't like it. We hate it when we do it. How about not sinning because condemnation comes crouching at the door? It desires to have you but you must master it. That's what God told Cain. He said, sin is crouching at your door. It desires you, but you must master it. Master it with what? Mind over matter? No, no, not not mind over matter. Sheer willpower? No, we master it with the master. Jesus Christ, that's how you master it. Have you ever realized that babies never experience condemnation? Have you ever realized that? I mean, they can soil their little diaper and it can make a real mess. They can puke all over the front of you. And I've seen all these things happen. They'll wake you up at two o'clock in the morning because they're wet or they want to be fed. They won't feel the least bit condemned. Have you ever noticed that? You want to know why? Because condemnation is learned. It's learned. You're not born with condemnation in your mind. You're not born flowing and operating in condemnation. When the Apostle Paul penned his letter to the Galatian believers, he wrote it with an immediate crescendo. The crescendo for a piece of music, how many of you know, it's never up front. It's usually as the song is wrapping up. It's the time when the sound reaches its peak. It's when the highest point of the lyric manifests, but not Paul. He released the crescendo right out of the gate as he wrote to the Galatians. Perhaps he also understood the old adage that you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. What was his crescendo? What did he want to lay as the foundation for the Christian life to be built on? Come on. He's laying a foundation for them. What does he want them to know? 
Does he just want to gradually ease into this thing? No, right out of the gate, he crescendos. He wanted the Galatians to know that not only did Jesus give himself for their sins, but he also gave himself to rescue the Galatians from their present evil age. That's what he said, your present evil age. Let me ask you a question. What was wrong with their society that caused Paul to call it a present evil age? You have the Jews who know nothing but the law. You have the Gentiles who are just full of pagan worship. Both had a form of godliness, but both Jew and Gentile denied the true source of love and light, which comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, we find these words. Paul wrote, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, come on, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And when the Apostle Paul wrote that Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, he was referring to rescuing us from something more than just crime. When we think of evil, we think of crime. And we think, is that what Jesus came to rescue us from? Crime? If it were crime alone that Jesus came to rescue us from, then Jesus is doing a very bad job. In my 62 years of life, I've never seen a more crime-ridden, violent, valueless, divided, and dishonest world. So it hasn't gotten any better, friends. So then by reason of deduction, we know that this word evil is not the best English translation from the original Greek word that's behind our English word evil, which is the word poneros. Poneros is rooted in a word that means the effects or the influence of evil. It means that which influences the heart, your heart, my heart. What does it influence us with? Labor, annoyances, hardship, toiling, frustrations, inasmuch that it brings on great trouble and pain. This is where we get stuck sometimes because we get in this mop-up aisle nine business going on in our lives, that we're always working, we're always laboring, we're always toiling, and guess what? When we're trying to clean up our own sin, we end up frustrated and annoyed and in emotional pain and trouble. Recently, uh, it was about a week or so ago, I guess, I spent a couple of days working in my yard, and one of the things I did each one of those two mornings one of the first things I did was I built a fire so that I could burn up all the branches and twigs and leaves and pine needles, everything that was on the ground that had been littering my property all winter long. And those fires would burn from sun up until sundown and then even some. Valerie was saying, you sure those fires are out before we go to bed? Yep, they're fine. 
And the inspiration for this message that I'm ministering today came as I watched the flames from those fires consume everything that I threw on top of them. And as I watched, I was reminded of the truths that are found in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 15 and 16. Let's take a look at those, Justin. The leech has two daughters. Give, give, they cry. There are three things that are never satisfied, four that never say enough. The grave, the barren womb, land which is never satisfied with water, and fire which never says enough. And as I watched the fire consume, destroy everything I threw into it, I concluded that fire will rage on as long as it has a fuel source. It will just keep burning. Fire will never say, I've had enough. Fire will never say, I've destroyed a sufficiency. And as I watched it do that, destroy everything I put on it, I thought condemnation is very much like that. It will never quit talking to you as long, listen to me carefully, as there is a fuel source. It will never stop talking to you as long as there's a fuel source. So, Pastor Mark, can you tell me once again, what is the fuel source of condemnation? Absolutely. It is mixture. The mixing together of the Old and New Covenants, and until believers understand that they are not under the Old Covenant, that it was made obsolete, they will continue to walk in the ashes of condemnation, but the Scriptures tell us that He gives beauty for ashes. He gives beauty for ashes, friends. In order for fire to be extinguished, you have to either remove combustible material, you have to saturate it with water, or you have to deprive it of oxygen. If you do any one of these three things, then fire will cease to burn. Otherwise, fire is like the leech that Proverbs was talking about. It just keeps saying, give me, give me. I want more. I'm never satisfied. But what I'm telling you today is you can remove the fuel source of condemnation so that it's not talking to you. So it quits showing up like guilt and shame and fear. These are all fruits of condemnation, the very deepest root. And up out of that grow things like fear and guilt and shame and performance. So we keep mowing dandelions. We keep running the lawnmower over guilt and shame. And for a day or two, we feel like, oh, that's great. Everything's fine now. No, no, you got to go deeper. You got to go to the root system. And the root system of condemnation, friends, it comes from somewhere. It comes from what we learn. And we have learned to be a performing to please God church. And God is pleased with you. God is happy with you. God is joyful about you. In fact, if you were 
to sit on his lap, his joy for you would just consume you. You would be like a branch thrown on the fire in your natural self. You just could not contain that much joy and that much love and that much light for you. You couldn't take it. He loves us that much. Many within the body of Christ suffer from another type of PTSD. I said it a minute ago, post-traumatic salvation disorder. You see, when a believer first comes to Jesus Christ, think back for a moment, would you please? When they first come to Jesus Christ, like I said before, he or she is on cloud nine, high and lifted up, shining in the light of his glory, not a care in the world, and this deep sensation of innocence. This indescribable peace and joy and this sense of purity. But over the years, dust and soot and asbestos and dangerous particles from the toxic cloud of the old covenant are repeatedly sprinkled and rained down over our minds through well-meaning ministers and through the mixture of Scripture. This is how it happens, friends. I'm not here to throw anybody under the bus. I was there at one time before I had this revelation of the finished work of the cross. Believers don't realize it at first, but like mesothelioma, it shows up decades later in the form of a toxic cloud that hangs over them in the form of condemnation and demands that they continue to perform to please the Father. Now, you have been there. I have been there. Come on now, just be real, be honest. We've all been there. You weren't born in no bubble. You were born in the same world I was born in. You were raised in the same church as I was raised in. I'm telling you, that's where we were raised at. It was always about what we did for God rather than thinking about what Christ did for us, what Jesus did for us. His sacrifice was sufficient. It was once for all, and he made us perfect in our spirit. And when we get to that point where we begin to extract and draw the nutrients from our spirit man over into our soul and let it cascade into our mind and our will and our emotions. When that begins to take place, I'm telling you, you will begin to feel the barnacles of condemnation just fall off of you. The flame will go out, the flame that was under your feet, making you do the dancing all the time, afraid to come before God. You ever notice that with a little kid before they come before their father to get corrected they start this little dance don't they i don't know what they do that for just a nervous little dance because they know i don't know they just do that i used to do that friends we spent a lot of our time in life dancing before the father not because we wanted to worship him and adore him but because we were afraid of him Sadly, many will live the balance, come on, the balance of their Christian lives trapped in the stairwell of a burning building. Friends, come on, it's my pleasure, it's my honor, it's my privilege to come alongside of these desperate brothers and sisters that are trapped in those stairwell of these burning emotions and whatnot and put the oxygen mask of the new covenant of grace over their nostrils and then need be pick them up and then carry them into green pastures and lay them beside still waters. This is where we find rest. Sheep don't lie down, friends, unless they're at rest. They're a spooked animal. They, they're always concerned about the wolves and the, every little thing. 
when you bring a sheep to the point where he trusts you because you've led him there time and time again, and he's watched you defend him, he's watched you protect him, then a sheep will lay down in the green pasture. He can walk him beside a still water. Friends, the natural cloud is nothing more than a veil. But the scriptures tell us that when anyone turns to the Lord for their salvation, guess what happens to the veil? The veil is taken away. It's gone. The doom and gloom clouds depart. The feeling of innocence returns. The fires are satisfied. And mixture, the fuel source of condemnation, is extinguished. Now, friends, I'm telling you something that I'm living. I've not always been here, and I believe God has different steps and stages where he will continue to show me greener and greener pastures and quieter brooks. But I'm telling you, I'm not where I was at at one time, and I have Jesus to thank for all of it. The revelation of the finished work of the cross. That's why you and I felt so good, remember, on day one of our salvation. is because we knew at that moment we were totally innocent. The night I got saved, which was about five minutes after midnight, the first thing I did is I begged God to kill me. And I was sincere. And I was waiting and I was hoping. You want to know why? Because I grew up in a church that taught that I could mess up what he gave me, that I could lose, that I could be condemned in the end. Perhaps you came up in a similar church, but I was taught that all my years. No wonder I had no relationship with God for 34 and a half years. Someone painted a picture of him that was not accurate. It was not an accurate portrait. But I found him for who he really was. But I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me that night and say, Son, I didn't save you to kill you. It's one of the first times I heard his voice. I didn't save you to kill you. I'm going to show you how to live life, son. And that truth lasted for so long, like a honeymoon, you know, and you got to go back to work. That lasted for so long. But then, because I'm listening to people preach condemnation messages, it didn't take very long to put me back in maintenance mode, you know, mopping bucket on aisle nine. Again, cleaning up my own self, right? Unfortunately, it took mixture, the fuel source of condemnation, to transport me from cloud nine to ground zero. Always climbing a ladder like a fireman's ladder. Always with a hose in your hand putting out fires. I got tired of living like that, friends. Did you get tired of living like that? I got tired of it. Some people just think that's normal. That's part of the Christian life. No, it's not part of the Christian life. He's not called us to that. Jesus said, my peace I give you, my peace I leave with you, not as the world give I unto thee. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus said those words. He said, my peace I leave with you. Not that I just give to you and it kind of fades away, you know, after a little while. No, he said, I leave it with you. And it's a peace that you can't find anywhere else. It's not like the world can give you. He said, so there's no reason for your heart to be troubled or afraid. 
I don't want my kids afraid of me. That would break my heart. Think about it. You think about it for a second with your kids. If your kids were afraid of you, if they feared you, that would break your heart. That would break my heart. I want my kids to know every time they come around, kids, grandkids, whoever comes in my house, you're accepted. Everything's free. We had three grandchildren over last night. We gave them everything. Boy, we just load them down. I asked Valerie, I said, do they eat like this at home? She said, well, probably not. I mean, it was donuts. Valerie went to, got sprinkles out and put sprinkles on the things too. She made these little, these little s'mores treat type things, graham crackers with this frosting in between them. We made popcorn. They had ice cream. They had pizza. They had pop. They had everything. Look, if my grandchildren were afraid, they wouldn't come to our house. When mama said, do you want to go to Bumpa and Grammy's house? They say, no, thanks. Our little granddaughter, Mila, one time was going to the, I think it was the dentist. She was pretty small at the time. The dentist said, open your mouth. She said, no, thanks. <laughs> That's so funny. I don't want my kids like that. I don't want them saying no, thanks. I don't even want them to try to dress up their fear by saying no, thank you. God doesn't want us to be afraid of him. Jesus told us that. He said, my peace I give you. I leave it with you. Don't be troubled. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, we find these words. The Apostle Paul is writing. He says, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Come on. I'm telling you, this message will make you bold. Not stupid bold, bold, bold. Bold that you know who you are. Like a lion. A lion bold. He walks by a hyena, and he looks at a hyena with a look like you've got some right to live, and just keeps walking. He could walk by a pack of 20 of them, because he's bold. He knows who he is. That kind of bold. Identity bold. So it says, we are very bold. We are not like Moses. Why would he pick that name? Because that's where the first covenant came through. We're not like him or anything about him. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull for to this day, this day, the same veil, the same covering, the same cloud, if you will, remains when the Old Covenant is read, or even in particular when the Old Covenant is taught as a means of salvation. He said the veil remains to this day. It has not been removed. Come on now, it says, because, come on, look at these three words. Only in Christ. Come on. Only in Christ is it taken away. The veil is removed. The dark cloud is removed. Only in Christ. When you come to that realization that it's only about Christ. It's all about him. It's about his finished work. He said, then you're the veil of darkness. The veil that hid you from being able to see certain things about me. My goodness, my grace. He said, that veil is taken out of the way. So beautiful. 
Only in Christ is our sin taken away. There is no need for the mop and bucket on aisle 70 times 7 when we fail. Come on. It doesn't matter. There's no need for the mop and the bucket. In times like these, we remind ourselves, first of all, that I am a child of the king. Come on, that's where it begins. Even in the midst of failure, I am a child of the king. Only in Christ is the veil lifted and the bride kissed with his glory. Only in him. Only in Christ is our performing to please the Father removed. It's discarded. Only in Christ is our destructive behaviors and mindsets replaced with good behaviors and thoughts as we embrace grace and truth. Only in Christ is guilt and shame and fear displaced. And only in Christ is mixture, mixture, the fuel source of condemnation, extinguished once for all. Did you know that each of the sentinels that protect the tomb of the unknown soldier that's located in Arlington Cemetery, National Park there, we have been there, National Cemetery, that the sentinels, these are the guys who guard the tomb, they are inspected by their commanding officer before they are allowed to go and perform their shift. They are inspected. If their commanding officer finds even so much as a speck of lint, a small hair, a wrinkle, or a fold in their uniform, then they are disqualified to serve. In fact, once you get dressed, you never sit down. I don't care if you've got two hours before it's time for you to go march up and down on that rubber mat. You never sit down because you're going to put a crease. You're going to put a fold in your pants. It doesn't matter if a blizzard or a torrential downpour awaits them. In other words, they've looked at the forecast. The sentinel must be dressed to perfection. Oh, you can use the excuse, well, what's the point? I'm going to get snowed on anyway. I'm going to get downpoured on anyway. No. You must be perfect. Just before an old guard's duty, several of his fellow comrades gather around him and they put tape on their hands and they're touching his jacket and his pants. They go over him with a fine-tooth comb to make sure that he is presentable. And as I was thinking about that yesterday, I thought, wow. If that's the case, to serve in the old guard, how much more does Jesus' blood make us presentable and perfect to stand faultless and without blemish before the Father? Think about it. He has removed our lint. He has removed our wrinkles and folds. But most of all, He has removed our sins. Therefore, we can never be disqualified. In early September of 2003, the East Coast faced 
what was considered to be the costliest disaster in the history of Virginia. For many days, Hurricane Isabel rained down condemnation on the very state that contains Arlington National Cemetery. The old guard members assigned to the duty of guarding the tomb of the unknown soldier were given permission. They were given the out if they wanted it. They were given permission to suspend the assignment of the tomb that had been patrolled continuously, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, since July 1st of 1937. What was their response? You've given me a way out. Their response was, no way, sir! Soaked to the skin, marching in the pelting rain of a tropical storm, a storm that would crescendo on September 11th with 165 mile per hour winds. They said that guarding the tomb was not just an assignment. It was the highest honor that could be afforded a service member. I want us to bear those truths in mind the next time our narrow-minded brains attempt to put a value on God's love, honor, and respect for humanity. When Jesus, from the Garden of Gethsemane, had the option of foregoing the cross, as he poured blood out of his pores, the scriptures say his sweat became like drops of blood, as he was agonizing in the garden, and he could have found a way out from going, but he said, no way, sir. Friends, the kind of love that Jesus had for us was not just an assignment. It was his highest honor. Think about it. Come on. The God of the universe would come for me. This was his highest honor. He never left his post but rather he chose to die on an old rugged post so that he could present the body of Christ to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, including one of the costliest blemishes of all, condemnation. For 2,000 years, the work has been finished. For 2,000 years, the fire has been satisfied. For 2,000 years, believers have been guarded 24 hours a day, seven days a week by the sweet Holy Spirit. Friends, no matter what crisis we face in life, the Holy Spirit will never leave his post. He is there. He is there to help us. He is there to protect us. He is there to be available for us in our time of need. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27, we find these words. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. Come on. 
cleansing her by the washing with the waters of the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Look at those scriptures. Come on. Paul, he's saying our love for our own wives should look like Christ's love for the church. And he explains how it should look. Well, friends, you can't give away what you don't have. You can't give out what you don't possess. And so when the realization of Christ's love for the church, that he made a spotless and blemish-free and holy, when that revelation hits you, and it's all because of his love for us, then, then alone, then, it makes it easy, it's effortless to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Isn't that beautiful? That's the longing for every wife's heart right there, to be loved. Men want to be respected. Women want to be loved. And Paul said, I want you to love your wife, but this is more than just a command. I want you to see how it was modeled by Christ. Christ loved the church. And when his love got on the church, this is what happened. She became radiant. She became so beautiful. Her wedding dress is always on. It never comes off. Through these scriptures, we are exhorted to love our wives as Christ loved the church, and I'll be the first one to say, that is a lot of love. That's a ton of love. And how was it that Jesus demonstrated his love for the church? What did he do? What was his demonstration of love? He gave himself. Isn't that what those scriptures say? He gave himself. He faced the costliest storm and condemnation in human history, and he faced it in faith and hope and love. The greatest of these is love. And what happened? What changed through his giving of himself? Well, it says there, he made us holy and clean, and it's by grace through faith. Like the sentinels that stand guard at the tomb of the unknown soldier, he made sure, Jesus made sure that we were flawless and radiant. No lint, no crease, no fold, no stain, no blemish, no wrinkle, but holy and blameless. Friends, fires only reignite when we inject into our lives mixture, the fuel source of condemnation, then they seem to come alive again. Let them quiet down. Let them go out. Let them be extinguished by knowing who you are in Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 18, we find these words. I read them once to you a minute ago. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Next scripture. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, in other words, you forsake every other means, you turn to the Lord, anyone turns to the Lord, the veil 
is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Next scripture. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Friends, adding anything to Jesus' finished work on the cross is like eating cheap candy. It's junk in your trunk. It creates a quarrel on the inside of you that never dies down and a fire that never goes out. It's just as toxic as the asbestos that glistened the atmosphere when the Trade Center fell to the ground. In Proverbs chapter 26, verses 20 through 22, I want you to see how Eugene Peterson wrote it in the message paraphrase. He said, when you run out of wood, the fire goes out. Now, I could have told you that. I, to I, I could have told you that. When you quit throwing branches on, fire goes out. When you run out of wood, the fire goes out. When the gossip ends, the quarrel dies down. What's he talking about here? He's talking about fuel sources, isn't he? A quarrelsome person in a dispute is like kerosene, fuel source, thrown on a fire. Listening to gossip is like eating cheap candy. Do you want junk like that in your belly? Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> and the answer should be unequivocally, no! I don't want that in my belly. I don't want that in my mind. I don't want that coming out of my mouth. Adding to Jesus' finished work on the cross as a means to protect our salvation is about as exasperating as trying to put coins into a piggy bank with no slot. You make a lot of noise, don't you, doing that? But you can't get it in, can you? In case you didn't know, only one sentinel at a time marches back and forth on the rubber mat in front of the tomb of the unknown soldier. There's not two of them walking on that mat. There's not three of them. One. One man walking back and forth. And as a man... Jesus had help in carrying this cross because he was a man. But now it is finished. The cross was planted into the ground. It is finished. No man, come on, no man needs to carry Christ's cross. Knock that stuff off. Christ is not even carrying his cross anymore. He laid it aside for a throne of grace. It is finished. The cross settled it. My final scriptures are in Romans chapter 10 and verse 3 from the New Living Translation. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. The Apostle Paul is wrapping up Romans. He doesn't have much more to write. But he says they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. And we still have millions, multiplied millions of people out there that don't understand God's way of making people right with himself because they're mixing the two covenants together. He says, refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way. Isn't that foolish? I've got a better way? I've got a different way? I've got a more unique way? No! They cling to their own way of getting right with God, 
Look what he says, by trying to keep the law. Isn't that amazing? That you are going to make yourself right with God by trying to keep the law. God says, that's man's way. That's another way. That's not my heart. That's not my way. The New Covenant's operating software is grace. It's grace. This grace can be apprehended solely through faith. In other words, God's grace is not achieved. It's received. God's grace is received by faith. Now, faith has a corresponding action, but actions without faith will just give you blisters, blisters of the hands and blisters of the mind. The scriptures tell us that when Rahab, come on, Rahab, the harlot, when she hid the two spies, that she was declared righteous by a single act of faith. What? But she was a Gentile. Gentiles had no covenant. Friends, a relationship with God has always been by faith. And Rahab like the man buried in the tomb of the unknown soldier, would be honored to have her leaf on the royal family tree of Jesus Christ. Rahab begat Boaz. Boaz married the Gentile, the Moabitess Ruth, and together they gave birth to Obed. Obed begat Jesse. Jesse begat David. And just work your way down. But we go back and we find a woman, a harlot, an outcast, a Gentile. And through one act of faith, she was declared righteous and written in Jesus' family tree. Isn't that beautiful? Do you see this gospel? The problem is, we try to go our own way by getting right by the law. May it be said about Rahab, as is inscribed on the sarcophagus in Arlington National Cemetery, here rests in honored glory an American soldier known but to God. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the message today are these. Believers are about as incompatible with the old covenant law as an unshrunk patch is on an old garment and new wine is on an old wineskin. In our attempt to mix the old and new covenants together, we end up on the floor, ragged and broken. I've come by today to tell you that Jesus is enough. And his grace is sufficient. He sees, he hears, he feels, he identifies, and he cares. He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities to loose us from the grip of condemnation, the stronghold that is rooted in the mixture of covenants. Now I want to ask you a question. Do your feelings and do your emotions from time to time, feel like they've been trapped in the stairwell of a burning building? Have you been inhaling the toxic carcinogens of the old covenant doctrine? 
And have you ever, maybe now, but have you ever been concerned that you might be at greater risk for developing an eternal life-snatching disease? Well, I've got a word for you today. Relax. Just relax. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And he that believeth on him is not condemned. Not even once. Not now, not in the future. Believers are going to occasionally get caught in the grip of evil. It's the world we live in. Please remember, the evil one himself cannot touch us. This is no time for believers to exchange the life on cloud nine for the cleanup crew on aisle nine. You and I are not responsible to clean up our own sins. Jesus' blood did that for us once for all. Friends, hear the crescendo of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians when he wrote that Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. And let's not fall prey to the evil age lie again that makes us labor and brings about hardships and frustrations and toilings and annoyances. Friends, learn some lessons from the old guard, the sentinels that protect the tomb of the unknown soldier, even at the cost of their own lives. No matter what the weather forecast is, and regardless of the storms they encounter, they face them without a speck, a wrinkle, or a fold in their uniform. Their response to opposition is, No way, sir! No way will I ever again entertain that I am anything less than a child of the king. No way will I ever see myself again with wrinkles and folds. No way will I ever see myself again with faults and blemishes. No way will I ever see myself as disqualified. No way will I ever see myself with a mop in a bucket. No way will I ever see myself as a patch on an old garment or a new wine in an old wineskin. No way will I ever again embrace a hybrid gospel. No way will I ever again allow my mind to be trapped in the stairwell of a burning building. And no way will I ever again permit myself to labor and toil for the acceptance of my Father. He has given me everything that I need that pertains to life and godliness, and it all comes through a gift of His grace. Friends, the releasing of the Father's love he released his love through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was more than just an assignment. It was his highest honor. He died while on post so that he could present the body of Christ to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish including one of the most costly blemishes of all time, mixture, the fuel source of condemnation. Father, I thank you so much for your love for us. Jesus demonstrated it perfectly. 
as he walked through this life. He demonstrated it on the cross. And he continues to demonstrate it when he says things like, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto thee. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. I thank you, Father, for the truth that there is therefore now no condemnation, not even one condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. I thank you, Father, that we do not have to perform to please you. We are the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. And I'm so grateful for that, Father. Father, I thank you that when you look at us, you see us spotless, faultless, blameless, perfect, without wrinkle, without fault. I thank you that Jesus folded that napkin on our behalf to say, I have made you perfect. It's from His glory that this love and this light comes into our heart. And I thank you, Father, that love and light absolutely extinguish darkness and condemnation. Father, we rest in Jesus' finished work today. He did it all. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Mark Testerman, Senior Pastor of Triumphant Grace Ministries. I want to say thank you for listening to the finished work gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that the good news found throughout the message has richly encouraged you in the love of the Father. Friends, this podcast is supported by the generous financial support of its listeners. And if today's message has ministered to you, then would you consider a gift that ministers back to us? You can text the word GIVE G-I-V-E to 833-632-1315 or you can visit triumphantgrace.com and donate through PayPal or credit card. The cornerstone scripture for Triumphant Grace Ministries is found in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Great grace, such grace, triumphant grace to you. God bless you.